Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks everyone for joining me here on this preview edition of the podcast. Uh, this one is a little bit, probably going to be a little bit more evergreen, at least with the start of the show, because when we have uh, a situation where the Bills are already in the playoffs and they're going up against a team like the New York Jets, that uh, isn't exactly enthralling in terms of like you know them being good this year they've had a lot of stuff go wrong for them so this is less about the matchup at least in the first half of the show than um than we normally do and it's more or less uh an opportunity for us to kind of go over what the playoffs could look like you know I did a lot of research into the highs and lows, the strengths and weaknesses of all of these uh, all of these different potential matchups that the Bills could see in the first, second, or third round. And um, I think it's worth our time to maybe go through it because we haven't really done it to a grand scale just yet. But we will be doing some, uh, some discussion about the upcoming opponents and the upcoming matchup. We're going to talk to Connor Hughes, uh, he is our Jets writer for The Athletic. Really interested in in their story because we haven't really heard much about the Jets this season just because, you know, the record has been terrible. But, you know, interested in what's going on with Zach Wilson, how the first year of their new head coach has gone. And certainly, um, I, I'm really interested by Elijah Moore, who seems like a wide receiver, someone that is going to be a, a pretty good one. And I'm curious to hear... Connor's thoughts on that. So we'll get to him um, after we get done talking about a bunch of the playoff matchups, and then we'll get into the individual matchup and and uh, what we think or what I think the the Bills will end up doing this Sunday as they go for their second straight AFC East crown and their uh, f- at least one playoff game at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, guaranteed. So we'll get into that a little bit later, but let's go into the postseason opponents and the potential postseason opponents. Right now, there are still 10 teams alive in playoff contention in the AFC. Obviously, there are the ones that have already clinched a playoff spot, that being the Tennessee Titans, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills, and the New England Patriots. After that, you have teams still vying for the final spots. That being Indianapolis, the LA Chargers, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, based on matchups and who teams are playing in Week 18, 
it's looking strongly because the Colts are playing the Jaguars in in the final week of the season, unless something ridiculous happens. And you know, weird weirder stuff has happened in the final week of the season. Unless they end up losing that game, it looks like it's going to be the Colts getting into the postseason and then the winner of the Chargers-Raiders game getting into the playoffs. So, regardless of what ends up happening, you know, you'll be able to see this over uh, at The Athletic. I did a deep dive into advanced metrics and uh, using True Media, which is a a great site that, that we have access to here at The Athletic. I went and dove into the expected points added metric, which isn't necessarily, uh, I mean, it's a great determiner and it puts actual numbers behind what we see um, from a week to week basis. It is not, you know, foolproof and no metric is, but it does give you a good gauge as to how teams are performing in certain specific areas of of their uh, of what they do well versus what they do don't do well, you know, rushing offense, passing offense, rushing defense, passing defense. Those are the, obviously the core four here, and trying to figure out okay, who is playing well, where are they playing well, how does that translate, and how does that match up against what the Bills are doing well and what they're not doing well. Now, before we start off on this on this whole kind of discussion as to who would be favorable matchups and who are less so, wanted to just explain how the Bills look in a lot of these metrics. The Bills, you know, in terms of expected points added, those, uh, they are really high up in, in terms of the overall look at things um offensively they rank really highly defensively they rank even higher like for the season their defensive epa is first in the nfl um even though over their last four games they have been 19th their start to the season was so good that they are still first in the nfl even if the defense has kind of um gone awry a bit and that kind of like syncs up with what we've been seeing recently right because the bills i mean early on in the season the bills defense was the reason that they really took off and then the offense kind of had to catch up and what we're seeing now is the offense for the bills really kind of taking control especially over the last four games whereas the the defense has ranked 19th the Bills' offense has ranked fifth in uh, expected points added. So it's a good gauge as to who they are, what they are, and everything like that. Their passing offense um, over the season is eighth. Over their last nine, nine games, they're, they're ninth. Uh, their rushing offense, which includes quarterback scrambles and runs, which very much count, by the way. It's not all Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. They rank seventh and second. 7th for the season and 2nd over their last 4 games. I like looking at the the segments of the games too because you see um you get to see trends about who's hot and a lot of times when you get to the playoffs uh, there is a fair bit of who is playing the best at that point in the season that dictates how these matchups will go. 
So the last four, and really the last eight, I think are are strong. Last four games, last eight games are really strong indicators of um, how things could look in the uh, when once you actually get to the playoffs. And I wanted to do these be- before we got to week eighteen because there's going to be so so many weird um, lineup stuff, guys sitting that it would skew the numbers. So that way, when you look at their all these team seasons in totality, you sit there and say, "All right, this is when they put." what they thought would be their best lineup on every given week. And every team has gone through injuries, so it's not as though you can completely, you know, excuse. Uh, eventually, through a 16-game season, you're going to see a lot of who these teams are. And there's really no hiding, whether it be who they play. Every team will go against bad teams. Every team will go against good teams. So, all that said... The Bills rank favorably in EPA. So I looked at the Bills EPA, and I basically had the Bills EPA go up against the opponent's, like, let's say the Bills pass defense EPA go up against the opponent's passing offense EPA, and same thing vice versa. And when you go through and look, there are three absolute smash opponents. And I won't get deep into the numbers just because you can go and see those for yourself over at theathletic.com, which, by the way, if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. Get yourself a nice little discount on your yearly subscription, and you get to read all this stuff. Took me a long time to compile. Took me a long time to chart. And I think the numbers and the illuminating and even some of the sortable chart, one of the sortable charts I put on there, I, I think it'll be worth your time just to go take a look and... It's kind of like a, I used this word before, but it's kind of like an evergreen piece that you can refer to throughout the postseason, especially if the Bills win their first playoff game and get to the get to the uh, conference semis and and the conference championship. That's a that's a good way to figure out how things could look between um, who they between uh, the Bills and who they will play as they go through the playoffs. All right, so there's three absolute smash spots, and those will probably not surprise you. Um, two of which are probably not going to make the playoffs at all. The Steelers and the Ravens are the two that I'm obviously referring to. The Steelers, they need some things to go right. They need the Colts to lose, and um, and the Ravens need even more to go right. But um, in terms of the overall season, there is not a bigger disparity in expected points added across offense and defense and everything from one AFC playoff hopeful to the Bills than the Steelers. They're, the Bills have a 245.78 point expected points added advantage over the Steelers, which is humongous, especially considering that the team that's closest to them in the AFC is only 29 away. So the Steelers, they look more and more just like a bad team who are just winning games out of nowhere. And obviously their offense has struggled a great deal. Their pass defense has really picked it up to where they're keeping them in games, but the Steelers are not a good team. Um, It kind of looks like a mirage and, you know, I don't think they're going to make it to the postseason. So it's, probably not going to 
be a matchup that you can look to to actually happen. But if somehow the Bills do play the Steelers, the Bills, the way that things have been trending over the last eight games, last four games, everything like that really shows into the Bills' favor. Um, same thing with the Ravens. The Ravens' pass defense has just been an absolute tire fire in EPA. Like they've been, uh, they've been, let's see, the worst in the league in pass defense EPA over the last four games, 27th over the season. And the Bills have obviously been one of the best offense offenses and pass offenses over the last four weeks. So you you look at that sort of setup, it just and the, the Ravens offense isn't is only around league average. So it's not as though that they're going to, you know, if you look at these as a predictive measure, that would be the Bills absolutely being a huge favorite in that game. The other team that I think is a a pretty logical bet for the Bills to move on are the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are a weird team, right? Like early in the year, they were great passing offense. Well, great might be an overstretch, but passing offense was solid. Um, They're, and it's certainly taken a dive over the last four games of the season, which is why we're kind of seeing them, you know, fighting for their lives for the playoffs. Their run defense is also really good, but they are extremely weak in two specific areas. Their rushing offense is is not great. Their rushing offense over the season, they rank 28th. Their rushing um, offense over the last four games, 27th. So even though the Bills have not been a good rush defense over their last four games, it's not exactly something that the Raiders have shown they've been able to exploit this year. So that works. And then from a pass defense perspective, I don't think, and I, you know, it could coincide with Darren Waller being out for the last several games for the Raiders, but uh, it, it does feel like their production has dropped off dramatically. And even through their um, first games, nine through 12, they were not on pace to have a, the same passing EPA as what they had in the first eight games of the season. So they've, they've been slowly declining and the Waller injury has certainly hurt them, but their pass defense is the reason why this is a real huge spot for the bills on the season. The Raiders rank 28th in pass defense EPA and um, the bills of course are doing quite well in pass offense EPA. So all of, all of that lines up to, them having a humongous net EPA advantage over the Raiders. Um, it's only, it's actually more than the Ravens, <laughs> if you if you look at it that way. And just about 20 expected points added fewer than the Steelers. So if you, so you should be, as Bills fans, rooting for the Raiders to defeat the Chargers. And, and getting into the postseason and somehow, some way, the Bills finding their way to the Raiders. Don't know if it happens, but it could. But uh, at some point, anyway. Then that's the first tier. Then you get into the second tier, which I think is maybe a little bit overvalued just based on their reputations and what happened earlier in the season. Um, two teams that I think the Bills would be favored against and expected to beat are to me the Chargers and the Colts. 
Now, the Colts probably makes you bristle a little bit and mentioning them that way because of how that game went the first time around. But I think legitimately things have changed since uh, since the Bills have gone through that game. First of all, the Colts rushing offense has not been as potent since that game. Over their last four four games, let's see, I have it right here. Over the last four games, they've ranked sixth um, in terms of rushing EPA, which is still one of the best marks in the league, but um, it's not going to take them above and beyond. They're going to need their passing offense to be able to bail them out. And their passing offense has only been average this season to slightly below average and that was a big reason why the bills were unable to make that a game because you know they they couldn't get their feet underneath them against jonathan taylor and you know there is certain amounts to be said about the um about the scheme and how well it does against this bill's defensive scheme i'm saying the colts blocking scheme and how well it does against the bill's defensive scheme and how they coach things but I do think the Bills will have the opportunity to do do something very similar to how they defended the Patriots, um, come up with a finite game plan. And not to say it's easier to stop the run, but when you can make a team into or make a one-dimensional running team only... 65% of their capabilities and they need to depend on the pass, then that is a great um, route to a victory for a team like the Bills. And then when you look at the Bills offensively, I think they have a humongous advantage as as a passing team. Again, they did not fire the way that they needed to against the Colts and another reason why they uh, why they wound up losing in the way that they did. But I do think that results in how lopsided it was is a bit of an anomaly as to how these two teams would play moving forward. So um, you look at the the net EPA on the on this, the Bills um, over the last four games have a pretty clear advantage. Um, they have a definitive advantage over their season-long stats and everything like that. So I think I think as long as they can make Carson Wentz be a player, then then they'd have a pretty good shot to come away with victory over the Colts. Chargers are is one that surprised me just because they have so many skill players where you're like, okay, this is a, they've got Justin Herbert, they've got Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, all these different things. I mean, obviously, people who play fantasy football know that that's a prolific passing offense and you want a piece of it. But what surprised me is how putrid their their defense has been for the entirety of the year, and to a certain degree. Their rushing offense has has been only meh this year. Um, their run offense f- uh, over their last four games has ranked 20th in EPA um, as compared to the rest of the league. And their pass defense over their last four games is really bad. Pass defense... They are 27th in the league and run defense. They are 26th in the lead in the league. So you look at those two things on the way that the bills have been playing on offense in totality. That is a humongous advantage um, for them to the point in which 
even if the Chargers were able to get theirs as, as a passing offense, um, the Bills' defense stands more of a chance, based on these predictive measures, to take uh, to take down that Justin Herbert offense. And you look at the past, too. Like, the Bills did really well against Herbert last year. McDermott had a great plan for him, and that really frustrated him into one of his worst performances of the season. You know, new year. He's had a lot more experience, so I wouldn't necessarily expect that to be true this time around. But, you know, the numbers certainly fall a lot into the favor of the Bills, way more than I thought it would. And, you know, of all the playoff teams we're talking about from a season-long perspective, you know, the the Chargers are closer to the Ravens tier than they are, you know, some of the some of the other uh weightier teams in the league so it seems like the chargers are a good team and i'm not even convinced that they get out of week 18 uh, based on you know just some randomness but they they don't have as good of a team as i thought they did um based on these metrics and they're not infallible so take it with a grain of salt but uh these are pretty good they take a lot of things into account over the entire season and this is how these teams have shown to be through 16 games. And, you know, it's worthy of extrapolating that moving forward. So the Chargers and Colts are that next tier to where I think if the Bills wind up getting one of those two teams, you should be like, all right, cool. That's that's one that they should probably win. And not, not as big of a slam dunk as the Ravens, Raiders, or Steelers, but should probably win that one. That's when you get to the next tier, which I think is the one where it starts to become more of a coin flip. And the Bengals are teetering on that tier for me. It's all to do with their last four games because their passing offense is no joke over the last four games. They have unleashed it. Uh, They are first in the NFL in EPA over the Chiefs. Certainly over the Bills, certainly over the over the Chargers. Those are the four of these teams that we're talking about. Those are the four most prolific passing teams over the last four weeks. Or last four games, I should say. So that's no joke, especially when you consider how the Bills have kind of taken not a step back, but you know, it's it has it hasn't been as good in the second half of the season without Tredavious White with their pass defense. So there's a certain amount of skepticism there that they'd be able to um, go, uh, you know, put stops on Burrow and, and that offense the way that they're playing right now. And when you look at their uh, their defense, their pass defense has really taken a downturn, but their run defense is really good. So you've got these two teams where I think the Bills would, based on how they've been playing recently, the Bills should have that edge. I'm as le- I'm less convinced of them being able to do away with the Bengals than I am, say, the Colts or the Chargers, based on some of this and based on watching them on film and everything. But when you look at how the Bills measure up to the way that the Bengals have been playing past defense, the Bills should be able to do more damage against the Bengals' pass defense than 
the Bengals passing offense should against the the Bills pass defense, and then uh, the running the running game might not even come into into uh, come into a factor in this one. The prototypical running game because the Bengals have not been an affa- a very effective running team, and the Bills with their running uh, with their running backs haven't been great. But I do think the one area that that could uh, really put the Bills over the edge is Josh Allen's mobility um, in, in that sort of game, because it seems like that that would be an area where um, the Bills can exploit the Bengals defense, which has, you know, been pretty good, a pretty good rush defense this year. But I guess we'll we'll have to see about that. Uh, the way that these two teams look through the numbers and certainly the film adds into it, too. It looks like this could be a potential shootout with the team with the better, not the best defense, the better defense being able to come out on top. And of the um, division winners, potential division winners, you know, not a slam dunk by any means, but if you had your druthers and this, this is what you would probably have expected before coming into this is that the Bengals would be the one that you would like the Bills to see above all else. And the numbers back it up. But a lot more difficult than it was, say, six games ago. Because they are they are a legit passing offense and their numbers are no joke against some some good defenses like, like the Chiefs who had been playing really well uh, from a pass defensive perspective before that game. That leads us to the two teams where I think it's more of a coin flip. That being, and you're not going to like this, but the Patriots and the Titans. And you're not going to like this with the Patriots because this could wind up being the Bills' first round opponent. The Patriots, very much like the Bills, are ranked very highly, very highly, almost across the board um, in terms of EPA. And we've seen it kind of play out over the first two matchups. Now the first game weather was a huge factor and it might not have been a a true sense of how this game would go in a third matchup. I think you can kind of clump the, uh, the second game into that as well, because Josh Allen had one of those days where he, he just couldn't do anything wrong. And that's very much within the realm of possibilities the next time that these two teams play. But I would say he would probably be a little bit closer to his average than jumping out that way, especially in in the the confines of a playoff game where things get really hectic, everything like that. The Bill uh, the Patriots passing offense outside of that game against the Bills has has actually done pretty well from an EPA perspective. But you can't downplay the Bills game because they did make uh, Mac Jones look pretty pedestrian. Um, Their running offense is one of the best in the league, and the Bills saw that firsthand. And even in their second matchup, the Patriots did really well. Their pass defense is excellent and can go toe-to-toe with just about any uh, any, uh, passing offense around the league. Um, Their rushing defense has been really good. All in all, their defense this season while the Bills are first in EPA for the year, Patriots are fourth. Uh, 
but over their last four games, the Patriots have the advantage, and the Patriots have been the more dominant um, run defense by by leaps and bounds. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. But when you look at the the total net EPA over the last four games, it is basically coin flip material. The Bills have a an advantage of 2.69 expected points added um, over the last four four games. And for the season, it's the closest of any two teams that are on this, which is a 29 expected points added. So this is total coin flip territory, random events occurring. And, you know, if the Bills wind up playing the Patriots, it could absolutely end up being a one and done situation. All the same, it could end up being the Bills that game propelling them to uh, to the divisional round. So that's I think of the potential wild card opponents. The Patriots are the ones that Bills fans should want to see the least. The way that these two teams kind of match up. Then you have the Titans, which I think are similarly a coin flip. And the reason why, and the Titans numbers are a little bit deceiving just because of their passing numbers have really gone down over the last eight games. But the commonality between that is that Derrick Henry went out um, right as soon as those final eight games began. So when you see the pass numbers go down the way that they did, his mere presence helps their play-action-based offense more than anything. So that, I think, will up their passing offense you know, the Bills passing defense has kind of gone down a bit. And really, the, the Titans defense has been outstanding over the last eight weeks of the season. Their pass EPA, pass defense EPA is third in the league. Uh, their run defense EPA is 12th in the league. Uh, their overall defensive EPA over the last four games has is third in the league. So the, the Bills offense, for as well as they're playing, would have a legit... Um, a legit matchup against the way the Titans are playing right now. So I I don't think that the first matchup between these two teams should fool you at all because, you know, that back then it looked like the Bills should have won that game and they were just a couple of feet from winning that game. But this is a much different Titans team now, especially if they have Derrick Henry. The way that their defense is playing, they are no joke. So this is another coin flip territory, a lot with a lot like with the Patriots. The Titans over the last four games actually have the advantage in EPA um, by eight. Season long is different. The Bills have a clear advantage, but I look at the the most recent ones as a as a pretty good way to gauge where these teams are. And um, the Bills are up thirty one over their last eight, down eight over the last four so titans uh, of all their options if they have to face one of these divisional teams in the divisional round i would say you want the Bengals and then the titans because i don't think the bills want any part of the chiefs the chiefs are in their own tier to me the way that they've been playing you know i know that they lost to the Bengals, and it was kind of ridiculous how they lost because the Bengals basically completely shut them down in the second half, their offense. But their offense right now is playing at an elite level. Um, the Chiefs are, over their last four games, first 
uh, in offensive EPA, second in the season. Passing EPA, second over the last four games, second for the season. Rushing EPA, fifth over the last four games, fifth for the season. So the Chiefs are no joke offensively. And with the Bills' best days offensively happening early in the season, it just it this is this feels like a much different matchup than the way that things lined up the first time around because the Chiefs still had a lot of questions. They were trying to gel together. They had some injury stuff going on the last time that the Bills played them. But now, you know, it it's starting to level off to where we're seeing the the Chiefs really take a step forward. And the Chiefs defense has certainly played a huge role in this and their passing uh efficiency before that Bengals game was really good. After the Bengals game, it was 18th. But for the year, their league average, 16th, uh, 16th in the league. Their run defense over their last four has been great at seven. So I think there's an opportunity that the Bills passing offense can, especially with how they're playing, can go toe-to-toe, um, toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. But the you have to wonder... Is the clear advantage the Chiefs have over the Bills, Chiefs offense have over the Bills defense greater than what the Bills offense has over the Chiefs defense with how they've been playing recently? And I, I think a big reason that that the Chiefs could um, do a lot more damage this time around is because their running prowess is pretty legit right now. I mean, from a numbers perspective. Being fifth in the league the way that they are, the Bills are 32nd in the league in rush defense over their last four games. Not to say that'll continue, but for the season, the Bills are only 19th. So it just seems like the Chiefs have a bigger advantage. And then when you look at their their total figures, um, over their last four games, the Chiefs have a an advantage in expected points added by 37 over their last eight. It's by 46. And... Uh, and yeah, the Bills had a clear advantage over the first eight games while the Chiefs were kind of going through their stuff. But since the Chiefs have turned it around, um, they have been the far better team over these metrics. So push comes to shove. The Bills can beat the Chiefs again, although that would be the team that I think the Bills project against the worst. So yeah, you can you can find all of these exact numbers that I've been referencing. Head over to theathletic.com. You'll find it. You'll find it right there. But I think the Chiefs are in their own tier. Then you've got a coin flips and Titans and the Titans and Patriots. And then um, past that, you know, Bengals are kind of on that cusp. But I think they're closer to the Chargers and, and Colts than they are the Titans and Patriots. And then um, the ones that you absolutely want to see, uh, no matter what, are the Raiders, Ravens, and Steelers probably the least likely to happen all right so that's just your little playoff primer again head over to theathletic.com to find all of that and you can see all those numbers you can consume it however you want uh i you know not just because i wrote it i really recommend it because i think it's a good tool to continue to refer back to as uh, as the playoffs draw near and um, especially if the bills win their first game to um, see how they stack up against their their next opponents all right when we get back we will uh be joined by Connor Hughes. He is the Jets reporter for The Athletic. Does a great job. And uh, we'll find out what's been going on with those Jets who have kind of taken the role of the uh, drought skateers. <laughs>
from the Bills based on how it used to be for the Bills and how it is now for the Jets. All right, we'll be talking with Connor Hughes when we get back right after this. All right, well, we'll get into uh, the the matchup now with uh, someone who has covered the Jets for a long time. He does a great job of it for us here at The Athletic. His name is Connor Hughes. And uh, going through the paces of uh, the a season that Bills fans have <laughs> remembered, maybe not fondly, of the years of all of the drought and everything like that. So uh, the Jets certainly are going through a bit of a rebuild, a perpetual rebuild, which Bills fans can, you know, uh, they they certainly know quite a bit about. So, Connor, thanks so much for joining the Buffalo Beat. I appreciate you taking some time out here. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, so, obviously, the, the story of the Jets season is all about new coach, new quarterback, and how exactly have things gone to this point I mean we obviously know the record but uh what are some of the the nuances of their season as to how things have gone from a good perspective bad perspective everything in between yeah it's it's honestly man it's tough to kind of evaluate this team um in any kind of concrete way uh largely because of just and, and you don't want to use injuries as an excuse everyone kind of has injuries but the Jets have just been decimated I mean I think I looked at it like 63 percent of their projected week one offensive starters are not projected to play against the Bills. I think it's like 42 or 43% on defense. I mean, they have just been ravaged on both sides of the ball with injuries, specifically defense at safety. Uh, one of their best players, Carl Lawson, went down during joint practices with the Packers and with, with a torn Achilles 10, and he's been out for the year. They've lost uh, their top three receivers, Elijah Moore, Jamison Crowder, um, uh, those, Corey Davis, those guys are down. It looks like Crowder might be back for the Bills game, but he's been out. Now they lost Braxton Berrios. I mean, it's just been one after another. So uh, I think the Jets went into this season expecting to probably win anywhere from six to eight games. I think that was their goal. They expected to compete and be in the majority of these games come the fourth quarter. And they've done that to some extent, at least with playing some teams close. But it's kind of hard to to evaluate either side of the ball just because of the number of injuries. So it's, it's almost like an incomplete. It's a, uh, there's a little bit of an uneasy or maybe not uneasy, but unsatisfying feeling because you look at this team and you see moments where, you know, they play the bills really, really close. They play the dolphins really, really close. They're in it in this game. They're in it in that game. And you kind of wonder your wonder to yourself, like, you know what, what, what would they look like if Corey Davis and Elijah Moore stayed healthy for the entire season, mm-hmm. how would that have benefited, you know, Zach Wilson defensively? What if they had, Marcus May and Lamarcus Joyner and weren't forced to play guys that they literally got off other teams' practice squads in a starting role. You know, what would this team look like? And unfortunately, there's just no answer other than assuming. And, and you know, that that's kind of led to like this incomplete grade. I mean, you have uh, seen your fair share of new head coaches in in covering the Jets. So how has has this regime started off with their first year as opposed to previous ones? How does it feel? How does it look? How does it sound uh, compared to what it used to be? Uh, it's well, it's tough, man, because like it, it's you got I, I've got two previous regimes to go by. It's Adam Gase and Todd Bowles and, and sure. with Adam Gase. I don't think I've ever actually seen a coach loathed more. And and I think some of that was justified. A lot of it was probably unfairly uh, directed at him. I mean, he was the guy that when the Jets went through their coaching search in 2019, you know, fans wanted Matt Rule. They wanted Cliff Kingsbury. They want Mike McCarthy. And, and instead they got the guy that the Dolphins fired. And and so from the very jump of that situation, um, the Jets were kind of, and, and fans were like, okay, well, we don't think this is the right move. Prove that it's 
prove to me you're right and I'm wrong. And obviously when you start one and seven, that's not really proving too much. And the Jets finished strong seven and two. So fans were willing to give them kind of a second shot, but then they went two and 14 last year. So it was, it was toxic. It was vile. There was, there was so much just hate during that Adam Gase regime. And it was kind of similar with Todd Bowles. You know, Todd started really hot and he had that 10 and six season, but then it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. So, you know, Robert kind of came in and I think that his message to start gravitated and and resonated well with Jet fans of, you know, all gas, no breaks. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna build a team. We're gonna compete for Super Bowls. We're gonna build this the right way. But when you're coming from a team that has not made the playoffs in eleven years, ha- has the longest playoff draw in the NFL. I mean, it's it's stunning to say that literally every single team in the NFL has played a playoff game since the Jets last playoff game, but the Jets. You know, and, mm. and I think when when you've got that much of a uh pretty terrible run that they're currently on a a run of really, really bad football. It's almost like, you know, you want to be patient and I know fans want to be patient. They want to trust the process, but they just want to see competence. They just want to see good. So it was, it was ugly for a little bit early in this season when the jets were getting blown out and beat bad. And I mean, the bills got him pretty good. The, Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, uh, what the hell was, I know the bills got him pretty good. Uh, the Colts were blowing them out before the Jets kind of made it up in garbage time, but it was it was just bad game. Zach Wilson was looking poor, so it was the fans were were turning on this regime pretty quick. But at least the way the Jets have played the last couple of games, you know, where they beat the Jaguars, played Dolphins close, played Bucks close, uh, they're at least kind of rallying again to the cause of like, all right, you know what? Let's build this thing. Let's see what we can't do next year. And I think next year could be a year where you see a jump from the Jets. You know, yeah. I, I do genuinely believe that. Yeah. Hey, I mean, the Jets have one up on the Bills this year. They beat the Jags and the Bills did not. So, yeah. so there's yeah. something. Um, so when you have, uh, you said it's it got kind of ugly early on. But since Zach Wilson has returned from his injury, how have things kind of turned around? I know the wide receiver room has just been, like you said, decimated by injuries basically every single week with something new. Um, what, what has Zach Wilson done well since he's come back and, and is there more hope for him based on what it was earlier in the season? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great actually to start right off the bat. I mean, he, he came back and, and I think one of his worst games actually as a quarterback was that first game back against the Houston Texans and and against the Philadelphia Eagles in, in week 13, he had a really good start to that game, a really good first half. But he really fizzled. He really fizzled out there. And it was kind of the same story against the New Orleans Saints. Like, he wasn't very good. But I would say these last couple of games, beginning in Miami, where they just lost 31-24, they lost by seven points, it's kind of been a gradual gradual climb to where he got to against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, and I'll be honest, man, I know... You know, it's a lot. The people are very, very, like this fan base is very, very defensive of Zach Wilson. Like, I mean, I'm literally not kidding you when I say that I said he needed better pocket presence in one game and I got death threats because I said that. So, like, they are (laughs) very above and beyond over if you say anything critical about this guy. Like, it is it is ridiculous. But, you know, up until I would say that that Jaguar game and definitely that Buck game to to compliment and to pick out good areas of Zach Wilson's game didn't mean pointing to a game. You know, you couldn't say like, oh, he played four quarters of great football against this team. You know, it was series or it was throws or it was quarters or it was moments. You had to basically piecemeal a complete game together based off of all of these individual components of games. You know, there was a throw, mm-hmm. there was the half against the Eagles. There was a throw against the Texans. There was a moment against the doll. You know, there are all these little tiny moments. 
when we got to that Dolphins game and when we got to that Jaguars game, Zach started playing better and better and better. And I look, you'll, I know you'll look at the Jaguar game and see, you know, 102 passing yards. Like that's nothing to write home about. But he had about three or four drops in that game where his throws were on the money, and he's looking at close to 200 passing yards. If it was there, you know, he led the Jets to a victory. He had the 51-yard dazzling touchdown. I mean, he had a good game against the Jaguars. Then in that loss to the Buccaneers, that was the most complete game of football Zach Wilson's played. And we talked to Mike LaFleur this week, and he said it was the best game he's played this season. He was calm. He was cool. He was collected in the pocket. He was accurate. He took what the defense did, but gave him, but also attacked down the field. I mean, for the majority of that game, I'd say for 55, 56 minutes of that game, he outplayed Tom Brady. And, and that's saying something. So mm-hmm. he's kind of been on an upward trajectory, I would say, not necessarily since he came back from injury, but over these last two or three weeks. And it culminated with his first real complete game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, and the Jets should have won that game. It was a miscommunication from the offensive coordinator to Zach Wilson as to why they didn't and they should have beat the Buccaneers and they would have beat the Buccaneers if it wasn't for that so you know they kind of go into this Buffalo Bills game now with Zach Wilson playing the best best football of his rookie season and and if he can piece together another decent it doesn't have to beat the Bills but if he can piece together another decent performance against Buffalo I think it'll continue uh in that way yeah the basically the whole time my my mind immediately went to Josh Allen's rookie season because although they didn't have the um the injury in common that cost him a bunch of games. Uh, there was just, it was just a lot of flashes, moments, like, you know, like you said, piecing together little, little things and to where it starts to become more and more the norm as it, as it gets to the end of the season. So I, it kind of sounds like people, you know, outside of defending them with death threats, um, it, <laughs> it kind of, kind of sounds like people are coming around on Zach Wilson based on where it started. Yeah, I you know that, that was Salah too. Like Salah made made reference to like comparing Zach's first five games to Josh Allen's first five games. And I'll be honest with you, man, I I never I never liked that comparison because yeah. I did a lot of work on on not like Dane, I like Dane's work on these college quarterbacks. But when Josh was coming out, was when you know you had the the big four quarterbacks, right? It was or big three quarterbacks. It was uh, Josh Rosen, it was Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Allen. So big four. I'm sorry. Uh, of all those quarterbacks that were coming out. And and the Jets that year were tanking, and it was very obvious they were going to draft a quarterback. So I remember talking to uh, you know, Josh Allen's quarterbacks coach. And I remember talking to Josh Allen's coaches at Wyoming and his coaches at high school, and, and the same thing with all these quarterbacks. And the thing about Josh Allen was that he was very much a build a quarterback. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like you had all of the the arm strength in the world and the the towering uh, imposing physical frame and the leadership and the camaraderie and the way that people just gravitate towards him. But he didn't have footwork. He didn't have accuracy. He needed You needed to take all these pieces and make a quarterback. And it was going to take time and it was going to take two or three years. And, and people, I remember talking to him then, they said like, this guy has a ridiculous ceiling However, he also has a very small, a very, a very deep basement because as much as you can think you're going to build a quarterback, it might not go that way. So if it works, oh, it's going to work. But if mm-hmm. it doesn't, you're going to have a full on bust because the basement is just it's not what you want uh, because of all because he was coming in as very much an unproven build a quarterback process uh, prospect. That wasn't the case with with Zach. Like even I remember talking to people within the Jets building during his slump to start and they were like, we really we don't have any idea what's going on here. Like they, they didn't wow. because they did not understand why his accuracy was as bad as it was. I mean, they had their, like, obviously he's rushing things, but I remember them saying to me, like, look, like we've got a guy that, that accuracy was supposed to be his strength coming out of college. Like that was what he could do was he was one of the most accurate passers coming out of the draft. They didn't understand why he didn't have accuracy and he was struggling so immensely with accuracy 
throughout the first 10, 11 starts of his career. They didn't understand why not even the accuracy, but the uh, um, improvisational skills that made him so, so popular at BYU, that was also a struggle for them. I mean, it was, it was rough and it was that like the whole comparison. I personally never liked the, the Zach Wilson, uh, Josh Allen comparison, just because Josh Allen was build a quarterback. Zach Wilson wasn't necessarily pro ready. He needed to learn how to get acclimated to the NFL game after playing, you know, the, the competition, the BYU played, but the accuracy was supposed to be there. The improvisational skills was supposed to be there. The arm talent was supposed to be there. And it just wasn't early on. Now you're starting to see it come full circle. I think he was really pressing the issue early on. Like he was really, really pressing the issue early on, which is why you saw him trying to basically like perfectly place passes, which isn't going to work in the NFL, at least now. You've seen him become more calm, cool, collected. You've seen him take with the defense. He's not thinking as much. He's just doing, and his play is improving as a result. And I think now at least you can start to feel pretty confident, and you can feel pretty um, excited about what you've got because at least you're starting to see now what the Jets saw when they were evaluating him, which which was not the case early on. Yeah, for sure. He's he's honestly probably the most compelling part to this game to watch from a from a Bills perspective to see how far he's come throughout the season now the last thing I wanted to ask you about just because you know I I, you know really thought he was a he had a great game late in the game against the Bills last time around I know he's really impressed a lot of people how good do you think Elijah Moore is going to be for this Jets team very I I think Elijah Moore is going to be a stud um I I don't know like so like I know I get in arguments with people all the time about like oh QB one or wide receiver one x he's not an x like the Jets envision him as their slot receiver and Mm -hmm. and I mean that's he's a dynamic elite level slot receiver inside who can also play outside but he's best in the slot I mean the Jets want to add a number one receiver this offseason to pair with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore in the slot but he is a guy that you just put the ball in his hands and good things happen like just get him the ball and good things happen. He can make plays short. He can make plays deep. He can make plays after the catch. He can make plays just by handing it off. I mean, he's that kind of an electric, dynamic playmaker. And now it's just a matter of let it keep growing, let it keep building, let it keep developing. And, you know, it's a shame he dealt with injuries because he dealt with an injury in training camp, which I think slowed him to start. Then obviously he's dealt with this injury and landed on the injured reserve. And it's very unlikely that he plays here against the Bills in week 18. But He's he's a player, man. I mean, he's a really, really good player. And when you add another wide receiver to the mix here, which is what the Jets want to do in the offseason, it's just going to make them, I think, even better because it's going to, you know, suddenly it's it's weird to think about the Jets like this, but, you know, it's a problem you guys now have in Buffalo where it's like, how many, you know, you got all these mouths to feed. How are you going to feed them? I mean, the Jets mm-hmm. want to get to a point where you can't focus on Corey because that means you're leaving Elijah off, but you can't focus on Elijah because you can't focus on wide receiver to be named later. You know, that kind of a situation is what they want to build here. In Florham Park, and I think they're on their way to doing it, and Elijah's a big piece in that. Yeah, wide receiver depth is one of the best attributes to the Bills' passing offense, and they have uh, and they've certainly showed it off the last few weeks with Gabriel Davis and Isaiah McKenzie uh, stepping in the way that they have. All right, Connor, uh, thanks so much for for jumping on here on the Buffalo Beat, and be sure to uh, to uh, reconvene sometime this offseason to see how the Jets are progressing and all, all that good stuff. So thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. All right, so we have heard a great deal about those New York Jets, and we'll see how they approach the offseason. One of those things where, you know, we'll, we'll see how Zach Wilson looks um, live and in person and, and everything along those lines. So this is, a, this is a game between the Bills and Jets. 
I think the way that that Connor kind of laid it out for what the Jets are looking at in this week, they are just so stripped of their starting lineup. And, I mean, it's tough to really ignore that fact when trying to break down who is going to win this one between these two teams. Uh, I don't think there's there's, uh, much, I guess... uh, there's not much to leave to the imagination when it terms to how these two te- how these two teams kind of line up with one another. Um, the Bills are just clearly the better franchise. They're healthier. Uh, they have really done a great job um, uh, over the last three games, and they've turned what could have been a really bad <laughs> second half of the season into a potential another a- AFC East crown. And in this game, the Bills are favored by 16.5. That's gone down a bit from where it started. I think it started at 17, if I'm not mistaken. The over-under on the game is 40.5. So rather than really getting deep, deep, deep into the Jets and everything like that, we'll just save you some time because I I went a little bit extra on those playoff uh, potential playoff matchups at the beginning of the show. So if you haven't guessed... I am picking the Bills to win this game. I don't think that they should have many problems. Uh, It's, to me, their advantage as a passing offense over the Jets' defense and their secondary is just too great for the Jets to overcome. And the Jets are just so void of healthy talent on offense that I just don't know how they're going to be able to um, score enough points to be able to combat what the Bills do offensively. So I don't think it's going to be a complete uh, a complete blowout in this one. I think it's going to, going to be pretty similar to how the Bills played the Falcons, where they jump out to an early lead. And rather than what happened last time, where the, the Falcons were able to take a couple of turnovers and and get themselves right back into the game, I don't think the game will be in question at, at any point. It, the Jets just don't strike me on film um, or just, yeah, on film looking at uh, looking at them. I, it just doesn't, they don't strike me as someone, even though they played the Buccaneers very tough, uh, I think they, they do not match up with the Bills all that well, especially with what they're missing. So I'm going to take the Bills in this one uh, by a score of 27 to 13. I think um, them being at home, having the motivation of an AFC East crown will bode well. Um, that also means I have the Jets covering um, their 16 and a half point spread. And I'm unfortunately taking the under in this one with a score of 27-13. The over-under is 40 and a half. I'll take the under because I think uh, the Bills might be able to jump out to an early lead and just do their best to run out the clock to avoid injury by getting that far ahead. So the Bills over the Jets, which also means the Bills would be claiming the AFC East division for the second straight year and at least one home playoff game. And then from there, it's all about scoreboard watching to see who sneaks in to the playoffs, who might play the Bills, what seed the, the Bills end up getting. You know, whether or not they get the, the three or the four seed could be huge as to who they would potentially play in the second round of the playoffs, whether or not they play those dastardly Chiefs um, that I said that the Bills should 
or as you fans should want to avoid the Chiefs above all other teams in the AFC. So we'll see what happens, and uh, it it should be a fun one tracking all of the different scores, even if there isn't a ton of drama between the Bills and Jets. I'm not expecting any any uh, fireworks between these two teams, but could be wrong. Uh, I, I tend to think the Bills will come, come through with a pretty strong statement. Okay, so uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Thanks to everyone for listening um, to this round. Uh, this will be the last pregame show before we get to the postseason. And, of course, uh, we'll wrap up exactly what happened against the Jets, probably more so talk about the playoffs than anything, um, with Matt Bovey, who is the sports director of Channel 7 in Buffalo, WKBW, as he joins me every single postgame show to really look at the big picture and what's coming up next for the Bills. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. And we will talk to you after the Jets game. See you.